The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson. And listeners, here we are, about to lock in four seasons, four seasons of the Eco Right Speaks. This season, we really felt like we found our groove. Aside from featuring a number of fantastic guests, we are growing more confident, quicker, and a little more nimble. We hope it shows. We kicked off the season with former Kansas Senator and Governor Sam Brownback, a dear friend of our executive director, Bob Inglis, who also joined the conversation. He explained to us why he thinks it's important for Republicans to be part of the climate solutions debate. I I think it's coming to the point, Bob, where if we don't have solutions on this, you're not going to be able to win in the suburbs. You're not going to be able to win young conservatives. Uh, You might be able to get an older crowd, but that's going to be a shrinking pool that you're appealing to. Uh, And then just the other thing from a selfish uh, motivation, um, if we don't put our solutions forward, we're going to be stuck with these high expense less than optimal or effective regulatory uh, solutions that the left is going to horse on us just because we don't care enough to put something forward. And people really want, they want, they want these issues addressed. They want them dealt with. Now they'll do it. However you put forward. And, and I just think our solutions are so much superior to effectiveness and getting it actually done. And at the least cost, which is, is what we ought to be about as policymakers. But I, I think it's coming politically to a point you're not going to be able to appeal uh, to suburban audiences and, and younger audiences if you don't bring forward legitimate solutions in these categories. Where Senator Brownback represents the older generation of policymakers working on the issue, American Conservation Coalition's Quill Robinson takes the young conservative flank. Man, 2021 was a was a breakthrough year for this movement. Um, we started the year in February by hosting a, a retreat out in Utah with 25 um, Republicans from the House to sit down and have that uncomfortable conversation uh, about climate change. We did that in partnership with uh, John Curtis, who's been a really good ally of ours. And from that came the Conservative Climate Caucus, which is now one of the largest caucuses in, in Congress, which like pinch myself, that's amazing. I know, I, I know. I it's crazy. Imagine that back in <laughs> more than 70 <laughs> members. It's yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. It's, yeah. it's remarkable. And I never could have imagined that back in 2017. I mean, as you know, you could count the number of Republicans on one hand who would be willing to actually sit down and have that conversation about climate change. So that was hugely significant. So I think that shows the, um, the shift in terms of willingness to engage on the issue of climate change. But then you also had leader McCarthy's climate plan that he unveiled and, you know, that, uh, involved over 30 different bills that uh, kind of attack climate change from different angles that uh, I think will make up the sort of the, the skeleton of the Republican approach if and when they take back the House uh, for 23. We're going to be talking to uh, the folks who are now ranking members who will likely be chairs of relevant committees like Bruce Westerman, Kathleen Morris-Rogers, um, Frank Lucas, et cetera. And then, you know, really 
holding Republicans accountable and saying, like, thank you for everything that you've done. Keep it up. And we're looking forward to actually um, moving legislation uh, next Congress, because I think that they've responded. And now we have a really unprecedented opportunity to actually show what Republican leadership on climate legislation looks like. Like Quill, we are huge fans of Mr. Curtis's efforts on the issue as well. And like Quill, Citizens Climate Lobby conservative fellow Thomas Hockman has good things to say about Mr. Curtis and the efforts on Capitol Hill. Here's Thomas sharing how the spring conservative caucus conference went. Yeah, it was it was super exciting. Um, I believe we had five representatives come and speak to us. So we had I'm not going to remember everybody, but we had John Curtis. We had Nancy Mace, who I know you uh, recently published a podcast with Um, and uh, and uh, Trey Hollingsworth from Indiana, um, which I I, if I if I understand it correctly, that was the most uh, members of Congress that that CCL has had at a a conservative conference yet. Um, And it's, it's it's pretty clear that the energy right now. Uh, amongst conservatives on the Hill is certainly heading in the right direction. Um, people are talking more and more about this. They're realizing that they, they need to present uh, not just um, sort of a rhetorical response to, to climate change, but, but also actually they need to come forth with their own set of policy proposals. So um, I don't know. We'll see if uh, how soon that materializes and, and how seriously conservatives ultimately do engage with this. But, um, but I, it certainly made me hopeful hearing the way that People were talking about this. Trey Hollingsworth said that he uh, came out directly and said that he supported putting a price on carbon. Um, yes. So this is all this is all exciting stuff. This is stuff that you you couldn't couldn't have imagined a decade ago. So um, it was. Uh, I would say the energy generally was was quite good there. And in the words of South Carolina Congresswoman Nancy Mace, who is also a guest this season. Oh, yeah. And when I talk to Gen Z and millennial Republicans, they vote on this issue. They care. And I represent a swing district uh, as very it's deep purple. And these are issues that people on both sides of the aisle care about. And, it, and very much you've got to be good on environment and climate um, and clean energy in order to be to be effective and do what your constituents want you to do. And I think that's really important understanding. That's why I want to be part of the original group that started the Conservative Climate Caucus. These, these issues really matter to the younger generations. And we don't want to turn the, our backs on those uh, young people. We want to bring them into the fold. We want to be a big tent. And when you apply conservative principles to climate, what you come out with is free market ideas. Um, and those things are, are the way forward. And I, think you, and I think that's a bipartisan way forward and a way for us to build consensus over the long run, um, because Green New Deal is too far uh, on one side, but then you know drilling off the coast is too far on the other. And so where do we find that equilibrium? This season was particularly special to me, both as the host of the show and as a longtime climate solutions advocate. Interviews with climate scientist Catherine Hayhoe, longtime climate champion Senator Joe Lieberman from Connecticut, and international climate specialist, as well as a former Senate staffer I really admire, Claudia McMurray, all served to fill my heart, which is what we all want out of our professional lives, right? Here's Dr. Hayhoe on how she manages social media, particularly when dealing with people who question the science of climate change. 
No, it isn't at all. And I see this again and again on social media because on social media, it's really hard to have a positive discussion because you're not looking at each other and it's too easy to treat other people as not even human. And so when people post false information on my Facebook page, for example, uh, because it's a scientist page, I say, I'm sorry, that's false. Here's a resource that you can use to update your understanding. Please do so before you reply. And people will either ignore it or people will post another false argument without looking at it. Or people will say, how dare you say that you know what the truth is? How arrogant. And it's like, well, I mean, scientists have studied this for 200 years. And if you're going to decide it isn't real, you really need to look at what they've studied. But you're right. We're, when we're engaging in the brain and the intellect, it immediately devolves into a he said, she said, I'm right, you're right. And you mentioned the word win. Really, nobody wins when we do that. That's right. But when we connect from the heart, and again, it's really hard to do this on social media, and that's why I advise doing it in different ways. Listeners, Dr. Hayhoe is routinely trolled on social media, so go give her a follow and show her some love and appreciation for her hard work. Senator Lieberman is someone I had the honor to work alongside when I was in the Senate, and it was a pleasure to take a walk down memory lane with him, as well as get an, a sense of what motivated him to engage on the topic of climate change, and his foresight that in order for climate solutions to be durable, they have to be bipartisan. You know, in the Senate, you, you, then more absolutely than now, but still, uh, you needed 60 votes. Very rarely you get 60 votes from one party, so... I always try to work on a bipartisan basis, going back to the initial, which was quite modest, which was a credit for early action bill with a great Senator Republican from <clears throat> Rhode Island, John Chafee. And we had trouble getting that going, but it was such a simple idea. Someday we said, uh, we're going to really um, you know, begin to stimulate and reward businesses that change to reduce their uh, greenhouse gas climate change emissions and let's start a system now to incentivize them uh, by giving them uh, early credits that is when 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 a registry of credits is set up as it honestly will be and they're rewarded in some way we give them credit for what they do now uh, and we even had trouble with that yeah. uh, but that's I continue to pursue it. Um, unfortunately, without effect, but always without accomplishment as I wanted. And we can talk about why, but always with a Republican partner, Senator Chafee, uh, Senator McCain, Senator Warner, and then uh, Senator uh, Graham, Lindsey Graham and uh, John Kerry. Uh, and hopefully before long, before we all get swept up with rising tides or extreme weather, uh, Congress will do something about it. Because Senator Lieberman's efforts were important, and likewise attempts are sorely missing from today's Congress, here is the Senator again on his partnership with the late Arizona Senator John McCain. Well, that's a great story and a, a great question and a great story because it says in some ways how the system should work, and it's a great uh, tribute to John. <clears throat> I mean, we um, began to work together almost as soon as I got there in 89, but he had been there a couple of years already, but particularly uh, in the early 90s on the, on the uh, Gulf War of 91, on the, on the uh, aggression genocide in the Balkans. And, and uh, we began to, uh, we, we agreed on almost everything about foreign policy and 
national security policy and when I went on the Armed Services Committee, which I think was 93, uh, he and I worked together on a lot of stuff uh, there. But we also, uh, and we disagreed, this is the important thing to say, <laughs> on a lot of domestic policy issues. Um, but when we agreed, um, we worked together on domestic policy. So this really started with John. I mean, out of, oh, probably 2001, he came over to me at one point. Remember, he had run for president for the Republican nomination in 2000, which he lost to uh, uh, then-Governor uh, Bush. And uh, he came over to me one day on the floor and he said, you know, um, during my 2000 campaign, a lot of people, particularly in New Hampshire, asked me uh, my position on climate change. And I gave him an answer, but honestly, I don't understand the subject. And I didn't give him much of an answer. And I know that you have been active in this area and I'd like to sort of learn about it and see if we can do something together. So really it was his initiative. And uh, he and I and our staffs worked together for quite a while, but it, and it wasn't until uh, uh, 2003 that we introduced the first bill, but that's how it happened. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now, back to this week's episode. Claudia McMurray is a former diplomat, a former Senate staffer, and clean energy and climate expert. She and I shared a few Senate bosses, not at the same time, um, but her reputation always preceded her. After reconnecting her at the funeral of our former boss, Senator John Warner, last year, I knew she had to come on the show. In this clip, she talks about the challenge of limiting carbon dioxide globally. Yeah, I mean, it's incredibly complicated. And um, I think what is important to remember about the United Nations, with the exception of maybe one or two treaties, is that you operate by consent. And that takes time, especially on an issue like this, where there are so many different interests. So you have that kind of layered over the top. But you're right, the the heads of state or the very senior ministers come in at the end and their hope is that they have something that they can all celebrate at the end, but it's not always the case. And certainly with Kyoto, I think what makes Kyoto unique, uh, I mean, it kind of gummed up the works for for a lot of years. The reason was that the negotiations that kind of went at a mid-level, obviously governments call back home and check on things, but mid-level negotiations, they set numbers. Mm -hmm. They set targets for every single industrialized country, not for the developed countries, which we don't have now with the Paris Agreement. I mean, I guess the lesson has been learned that you can't set the targets like that. As I've mentioned, this was a fun season to record. And in particular, I want to call out two fantastic women I have never met in real life, but feel a keen connection to. I just know that if I ever find myself in Indiana or Texas, I have a new friend to hang out with. First, Casey Crane, the executive director of the Indiana Conservative Alliance to Save Energy. She pulls back the veil on grassroots work to build support for clean energy in the Hoosier state. 
so it'll be it'll be a really good time and we're really looking forward to continuing to build a grassroots Hoosier momentum for these types of issues because our leaders are moving in the right direction. We need Hoosiers to back up their leaders that are are pushing on these issues. Our polling we did last fall shows that Hoosier voters are 72% more likely statewide to vote for a candidate who is for renewable energy. So it's, this isn't just the right thing to do. It's also politically popular and, and um, continuing to develop the grassroots folks to show their support is a huge part of our work. And one of the fun parts too. Casey has been a vital new partner for RepublicEN.org, helping us with our Summer Hoosier Happy Hour series. And we just wish every state had itself a Casey Crane. Go find one. Another woman leading the charge, someone I'm determined to have a glass of wine with someday, is Sarah Davis from Clean Skies, Texas. A former member of the House State House, of the Texas State House, Sarah is passionate about organizing strong, politically connected women on the issue of climate change. And here's why. We can find bipartisan solutions. Yeah. We've done things. We've we've come together as a nation in the past, mm-hmm. um, and we can do it again. Uh, it seems to be like it, it's harder and harder to think that we can. But I really think that the average, what I call like citizen, you know, is probably center left and, or center right. And mm-hmm. really, we all want the same things, right? Yeah. We all want clean water, clean air. We all want to leave this planet better for our children yes. than when we inhabited it. Yep. Um, because we're all humans. So it's just, can how do, how do we, you know, how do we cut through everything and, and, and get there? And unfortunately, there's a lot of groups that make so much money from creating the division. You know, there's all these yeah. groups whose sole purpose of existence is to raise money so that they can divide. Yeah. Um, which is why I like our nonprofit, you know, um, space. And, you know, we're not, you know, we are, we, we're not in existence to try, you know, to divide. Right. We really just want to, to provide a space for Republicans, independents, you know, anyone who doesn't feel like they have a home mm-hmm. uh, on climate issues if, with the left then we want to talk to you and we want to hear what you have to say and uh, we want to work with you. Listeners, this is just a sample of what we had to offer for season four. In addition to these fantastic voices, we also had farmers, we had a meteorologist, an author, former utility executive, and the current CEO of a major energy company. We had three total sitting members of Congress, um, reps. Byron Donalds, and Andrew Garbarino, in addition to Nancy Mace. And I think it's appropriate to end this look back with the words of former EPA Administrator Bill Riley, who served the late President George H.W. Bush and reflected back on what it was like to work for him. But, you know, an interesting thing is I sat at the cabinet table. I realized that it gave me a tremendous advantage. I had a vocation, not just because I was a conservationist, a lifelong member of the environmental tribe, but because he had promised to be the environmental president. And I, I dined out on that. I, 
was able to feel confident in arguments and contention with the chief of staff, the vice president, the budget director, the chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors, none of whom really honestly, I thought, understood why he had said he would be the environmental president. But he did. It worked extremely well for him in the campaign. It, it struck everyone. Uh, first of all, it's very timely because the environment was very much in the news in the summer of 1988 when the campaign was in full swing. And secondly, because it was an implicit declaration of independence from President Reagan. Right. He needed to do that uh, for a lot of reasons. He also did it with the famous uh, kinder, gentler promise which apparently upset Mrs. Reagan, kinder, gentler than who? <laughs> but it it worked for him. And so in, in appointing me, he was making good on that commitment. And that gave me, I thought, my mandate. May future Republican presidents follow in those shoes. Listeners, thank you for your time, for your praise, for your listenership. We wouldn't be here without you. Hi, I'm Peter Santoscano, host of Citizens Climate Radio. We highlight people's stories. We celebrate your successes. And together we share strategies for talking about climate change. We do all this by hearing from some pretty surprising climate advocates. We feature politicians, preachers, and poets. Citizens Climate Radio is designed to inform you about the many ways people are addressing the causes and impacts of climate change. Subscribe and listen to Citizens Climate Radio wherever you get your podcast. All right, welcome back in as we get ready to wrap up this best of season four episode. I'm your producer, Price Atkinson. You've heard my voice before. As you heard our esteemed, outstanding host, Chelsea Henderson, throughout that episode, who has just done a fantastic job. Incredible work lining up guests every single week. It does take a lot of work that we love doing and bringing to you every single week here on the Eco Right Speaks podcast, whether it be uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts every single week. Uh, make sure you can go back and listen to previous episodes if there's something that you've missed uh, here in season four. A lot of our interviews are evergreen, so they stand the test of time. And we would love for you to go back and check out some of these episodes if you might have missed one through the summer. But uh, we will be back later this summer with Season 5. Episode 1 of Season 5. It's coming up in the month of July. We'll come back later in July after the 4th of July break. Make sure you stay tuned to our social media platforms at Republican uh, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We will let you know when the next episode, which would be Episode 1 of Season 5. We will launch that Season 5 and go to the end of this year. Now we got a lot more coming. we got uh, you know, a lot more guests. If you've got an idea for guests, uh, a topic, we would love to hear from you, Chelsea at Republican.org. Please get in touch and let us know. Um, it's, again, I say this all the time. It's about you, our listeners. We just cannot thank you enough, and we want to bring you the type of content, guest information that you are seeking and that you want to hear. So please let us know. Let Chelsea know. Um, we're going to be traveling this summer. We've got a couple Who's Your Happy Hours left. You know that we had our first one in June. If you live anywhere near the Hoosier State, our next one is going to be in Lafayette, Indiana, where Purdue University is. It's going to be June, uh, July the 20th. 
at 5.30 in Lafayette, Indiana. And then our last third and final Hoosier Happy Hour is going to be Wednesday, August the 10th in South Bend, Indiana. We are partnering with the Indiana Conservative Alliance for Energy. You heard the soothing tones of Casey Crane there in one of our best of, one of our favorite interviews that we did during this past season. We're partnering with Casey and her team with these Hoosier Happy Hours. So we just did our first one in June in Carmel, Indiana. Had a great time with Mayor Brainerd coming. We'll have some special guests joining us throughout the rest of these Hoosier Happy Hours this summer. Uh, Bob will be in Idaho the last week of July. Uh, We're planning to be back in Florida again in August. We're going to be in Utah in uh, September. If you've got an event, if you've got something where you think a conservative voice uh, regarding climate change would resonate with your group, club, audience, uh, folks that you're friends with, whatever, you've got an event coming up, please reach out and let me know, price at republican.org. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to see how we can make this work in person or virtually. We would love to to partner with you, so please let me know at price at republican.org. All right, that's going to do it once again. Our best of season four, this episode now in the books. Again, we will be coming to you with season five coming up with episode one later in July. Again, follow our social media platforms. We will let you know when that episode will drop. It'll be a Tuesday, like when all our new episodes come out. But we're excited to do this again with you starting later in July and through the rest of the summer and into the fall and as we put a bow on 2022. But I speak for Chelsea Henderson when I say thank you for her, on behalf of her, on behalf of me. We cannot do it without you guys, our listeners. Thank you so much to everybody for download, listening, and subscribing. And we can't to be wait to be back with you a little bit later in July. In the meantime, have a happy and blessed and safe 4th of July holiday coming up next week and throughout the rest of July until we talk to you again right here on the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at Republican.org. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.